Welcome everyone to a Monday edition of Couch Potato Diary back in Calgary coming to you from the regular Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Clearwater Cleaning Solutions is your one-stop commercial and residential cleaning company based out of Calgary. They have a fantastic team who are ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all of your cleaning needs. Check them out online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. Find me online, Twitter and Instagram. I am at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. NBA playoffs, we have one game in the books for all eight series. We wonder what's left to prove for the Calgary Flames and a little bit on the Toronto Blue Jays as they are 2-0-1 in terms of series wins to start 2022. Thank you all for joining me today. Let's start in the NBA, uh, and let's start with the Toronto Raptors, as that didn't go well on, I guess it was Saturday afternoon. I was uh, trying to make my way back to uh, Calgary at the time, so wasn't able to catch the game live, and happy I didn't. My uh, A few things from this game. First of all, all the credit in the world to the 76ers, Maxi with the greatest game of his life, uh, and Joel Embiid is a beast who can do everything. My one question about the Raptors is where were they and why did that team show up instead of the actual Toronto Raptors? There was no transition defense for Toronto. They eventually started closing out on threes a little bit better, but um, that, that was not the defensive effort that we are used to seeing from a Toronto Raptors team. The the 76ers were around 60 points at halftime. They finished the game with 131, and it's not going to get easier tonight, as we're recording this on Monday, with no uh, Scotty Barnes in the lineup for the Raptors. So, not, I mean... Philadelphia, the Raptors weren't going to sweep this series if they were going to win it. Um, you knew Philadelphia was going to get their, theirs, but it was it was striking how off the Raptors seemed going into this game. And the, the, the transition defense was the one that really got me. And th- this is a team that for as great as they have been this season and, and as much as they have exceeded expectations this season, they have not done a tremendous job of executing in the half court. And Philadelphia, I think one of the first real adjustments of the series, I thought they did a tremendous job of pushing off of every Toronto Raptors miss and running the floor and really taking advantage of a um, a, a transition defense and a fast break defense in the Raptors that wasn't very effective in that game. So that's something that definitely needs to be uh, adjusted. But I also think that that might I don't know how sustainable that strategy is for Philadelphia. You you saw in this game as it was going on, Joel Embiid started to slow down a little bit. And again, he was tremendous. I'm not taking anything away from him. But when the Raptors were able to creep back into that game in the third quarter and they had it to within single digits, I believe, Joel Embiid was not necessarily his same dominant self. And I just wonder, because he was running the floor so well, I wonder if that's kind of wearing on him a little bit. And if that faster pace didn't necessarily come back to bite Joel Embiid a little bit later on. And that's where Harden stepped up in this game. I didn't think Harden had a very good game at all. I thought he was at best the fourth best Philadelphia 76er in this game behind obviously Embiid, Maxi, and Harris had a pretty good game. But when Embiid started to falter and the Raptors started to get back into it, that's when James Harden started to to take over a little bit. And they're going to need more from him in this series. I'm assuming Maxi isn't going to average almost 40 points a game. Just bold predictions here early on, I guess. But James Harden, they need more from him, but he showed up the, the minimal amount they got from James Harden, they got at a perfect time. And I think I'm being too hard on him, but still. It was it was a good time for him to show up, and he did very, very well. For 
game two now. There's no Scotty Barnes. There's probably no Gary Trent Jr., although one could say the Raptors played without him anyway. And there's no Thaddeus Young. And this is where, probably, again, this is where the flaws of this Raptor team, I think, really show up. And they battled really hard when a bunch of players went down with injury. But the Scotty Barnes one is tough. And this just, this is not a team that's going to kill you with depth. This isn't the bench mob of a few years ago. This is a team that has seven or eight guys that they trust and they run those guys into the ground. And we could have a debate about, oh, well, is this just the tough season coming back to bite them? It was some fluke things. I I don't think that's necessarily the case. But the depth for this Raptors team is going to be tested. The one thing I will say that kind of gives you hope, I think we saw Fred Van Vliet's worst game of the series. And I think we probably saw Siakam's as well. I didn't think Siakam had a very good game in game one. He needs to be their best player. The Raptors cannot afford to have the Philadelphia 76ers have the two best players in this series. A lot of people are assuming that's going to be Embiid and Harden. In game one, it was Embiid and Maxi. I'm not worried about that. If Van Vliet stays out of foul trouble, I think he guards a little bit more aggressively. I think that was obviously on his mind. And honestly, I think there were some yips for the Raptors in that game. I thought that Scotty Barnes' shot was not there for a lot of it. And you could just see, or like Barnes played well, um, but you could see a lot of the guys were... There was just a little bit of a going on there, and that's not necessarily what you want in a playoff matchup. A couple other just quick notes. I thought Philadelphia did a good job when the Raptors were trying to post up. I thought Philadelphia did a good job getting in there, helping, and either disrupting the dribble or just stealing it altogether. This is a Raptors team that at like three or four of the positions, depending on who's on the floor, are going to have a size advantage. They try to take advantage of that with some back downs. If that's not going to be there, Toronto needs to to find a way to adjust. But, I mean, Maxi was tremendous in this game. He was on fire. Uh, Tobias Harris played well for Tobias Harris. And Joel Embiid, he can just do everything. And it's so annoying. And it's the thing I said going into this series. If he's just out there playing bigger than everyone, Philadelphia's going to win this series. And in game one, for the most part, he was just out there being bigger than everyone. Now, how does Toronto adjust? I'll be very fascinated to see how Nick Nurse handles this particular situation now going into game two. Let's race around the other series from the NBA um, over the weekend. We'll start, we'll go in chronological order, minus the Raptor game, obviously. Uh, The Utah Jazz with a 99-93 win over the Dallas Mavericks to take a 1-0 series lead. This game really affected by the lack of Luka Doncic in it for Dallas. I thought a few players stepped up. Finney Smith had a really good first half. Um, Brunson, I thought, was distributing really, really well. I, I I liked Brunson's game actually quite a bit, but Utah just had more weapons and more options in this game. Mitchell got off to a slow start that was offset by just how gosh darn good um, Bogdanovich was in this game to start. He was unbelievable in the first part of this game. And that that was kind of the key for Utah. There was just more options for Utah than there were for Dallas. And then late in the game, you have Mitchell stepping up with some big buckets. O'Neal steps up with some big buckets. Bogdanovich continues his hot game late in the game with some big baskets as well. Dallas was there shot for shot for them, and I think this really does establish if Luka's in this series, I don't know how close this series is, um, but we'll, we'll see what his status is for game two. Rudy Gobert defensively was a force in this game, but there it was just, there was nothing offensively really for Rudy Gobert in this one either, but I mean defensively he is still one of the best players in the league and that's why I had him in my top three for defensive player of the year because he was just that there was nothing in the paint for Dallas on a lot of these trips down the floor we'll see what Luka does if if Luka is out I don't know what more Dallas can really 
do. Like, Dinwiddie wasn't a standout in the way that I think they would have hoped when they brought him in. Brunson was kind of the guy out there. Bullock was making a couple of shots. Kleba was making a few shots as well, but Dallas just needs someone to elevate their game a little bit more than they did. One of the surprises of the weekend was Minnesota with a 130-117 win over Memphis, and this was the arrival of Anthony Edwards. He He has all of the confidence of someone who hasn't spent a whole lot of time on a basketball court not being the best player or best athlete out on that court. He just, everything he does is like, oh yeah, it's going to go in. If it's not, I'll, it's the the joke that they make, like, make till you miss, miss till you make sort of a thing. Um, He's an incredible athlete. He, his shooting is, I think, a whole lot better than people give him credit for. It was a very well-rounded offensive attack. The thing, though, for Memphis that was really concerning was Carl Anthony Towns was basically getting anything he wanted. Uh, Rebounding-wise, attacking the rim, he ate up Memphis when he would um, step out behind the three-point line and then drive and attack. And it, it's one thing to force the big guy to settle for those jump shots, which he can make, by the way, but when he is big enough and agile enough that he can get to the rim on you, that becomes a really big issue, and Memphis is going to have to figure out a way to get in front of him. Because offensively, Memphis didn't play all that badly, I didn't think. It was just they had zero answer, answer for Carl Anthony Towns, and Anthony Edwards was making shots. That was... That there isn't a whole lot to, to really take away from this one. I still think Memphis wins this series, but that was alarming for Memphis to not be able to keep Carl Anthony Towns from doing anything that he wanted in that game. Skip over a couple of pages of notes, because we already covered the Raptors, and go to Denver against Golden State, 123-107. I said coming into the playoffs, one of the matchups I was most fascinated by was Steve Kerr versus Nikola Jokic, and to see what the Warriors were going to do against one of the most talented basketball players in the league and the guy who might win the MVP award again. And the thing that they did was they made Jokic work. Looney and Jokic were basically just in a sumo wrestling match for however long they were out there. You had Draymond Green covering him as well, but then defensively, they were making Jokic run through everything and run around everything, and then you would have Looney kind of beating him up a little bit. This was, I thought, an excellent game plan from Golden State on how to wear Jokic down, and then it's again, it's it's the problem for Denver all season long. No one else really stepped up. Bones Highland can't be your second best player if you're going to win this series. They need... They just need more from all of the other guys. And then you talk about the other guys in this game. Jordan Poole, excellent. And he has really stepped into a gigantic role for Golden State. And this is, I guess, the upside of all of those guys going down with injuries is that Poole has been able to have a lot of valuable playing time this season. And now, whether he's out there just kind of leading the bench unit or if he's out there with some of the starters... He is a real weapon that you have to, have to, have to be aware of. That this was a perfect game from Golden State in game one. And honestly, this was a game where it was kind of a, oh, maybe all those injury issues this team had at the beginning of the season aren't going to be as big of a problem. Like This was kind of a reminder that Golden State is a contender, even though they kind of fell off at the back part of the regular season. That was just a, a quick, oh, yep, nope, still... Still can be one of the best teams in the league. When Clay started going early, Steph had a good game, but it wasn't like a, oh my gosh, Steph is, is taking over in this game. If anyone had that game, it felt like it was Poole. So, perfect, perfect night for, for Golden State. I still think Denver gets a couple of theirs, but I think Golden State wins this series. This one was not close, and th- this analysis will be brief. Miami kicked the shit out of Atlanta, 115-91. 
there was just nothing for Atlanta, whether it be offensively or defensively. They had no answer. And when they did contest, it was Duncan Robinson making really tough shots. Like Kyle Lowry had a lot of open looks. Jimmy Butler had a lot of open lanes to the rim. You had PJ Tucker. When PJ Tucker's making shots early on, it's just, it's over. He hit, um, he, he drove to the rim for a bucket and then he hit a corner three. That was, it made it like nine, nothing or something like that. No, I was a Milwaukee game, but it, it was like, Six back, uh, baskets into the ball game, and I wrote down, "Oh, this is over already," because it was just it just kind of felt like that. Um, Trey Young can't go one for nine at any for any nine shot stretch, and Atlanta have a hope in hell of winning this game. I I said coming in, Atlanta could be a live dog, and this was one where you watched it for a second. It was like, oh no, they're not. No, this is there are levels to this game, and Atlanta isn't even close to this. And we, we can get into I don't know how much. Um, clamoring there is for a deeper Atlanta dive, but this kind of feels like the ceiling for Atlanta, you know, like maybe you get a favorable matchup after a better regular season and you can grind in, but like, who's the more favorable matchup in these playoffs for Atlanta? I'm not saying Miami's a bad one, but it's like, we, as we discussed, the East is really, really good. You know, Boston at two, that's probably not ideal for you. Milwaukee at three, uh-uh, um, oh, Philadelphia at four, that's not going to go well. Five at Toronto. I think the Raptors beat them pretty soundly. Like, there is no great matchup that Atlanta's like, okay, well, we can get this one and this one, then we can get to another Eastern Conference final. This is a team that needs to improve, and they're just, there was nothing from them in, in game one. The game of the weekend, Brooklyn taking on Boston, an incredible night. Boston gets the buzzer beater from Tatum late to win this game and take a one nothing series lead. Obviously, it was a buzzer beater late. It was at the buzzer. 115-114 ends up being final. Boston survives a tremendous Kyrie Irving performance. He was, I thought, the best player in this game. And it was another reminder. It was a bit of a wake-up call that, oh, right, this guy is still one of the most talented players that the NBA has right now. It's just he's a little out there, and we didn't get to see him a whole lot this season. Kevin Durant didn't have a dominant game, but there's just there are times where you just you can't defend him. He just rises above everyone and and makes a shot. I don't know if there is a guy in the NBA I want more taking a final shot than than, than Kevin Durant. I, I there's just there's no defending him. And there were times where he just he was getting double teamed and he just rose over the double team and made a jumper. It's just you can't you, you can't defend him. And Boston I thought defended really really well in this game. There there were stretches where Brooklyn I thought defended really well in this game. The the, the lineups were Durant is at the 5 um or basically at the 5 or um, when Boston is able to pull the big out and Durant is the only one left down there. Durant is a good defender, but as a Serge Ibaka last option down low, that's not necessarily his world. And I thought Boston did a good job of getting Brooklyn into some of those sets. Tatum was excellent in this game. Um, just all around, a, a phenomenal, phenomenal game. And this is clearly going seven. And I can't wait to watch the the other five games or the other six games from this series because it, it was just, it was so much fun. I thought the real X factor in this, because I thought a lot of the stars showed up. Like it wasn't a dominant Kevin Durant performance. It was a dominant Kyrie performance. On the other side, you had Tatum with some big buckets. Uh, Brown had some big baskets. Smart had a great start to the fourth quarter that really got Boston rolling in this game. The stars showed up. This game was... I thought kind of hanging in the balance and there to be taken by someone and you needed a role player to step up. And for Brooklyn, it didn't necessarily happen in the way that it did with Boston and Al Horford, who played the best game he's played in about seven years. He was really good 
for Boston in this game, and I, I thought he was the difference maker. This is going to be a hell of a series, and it just it feels like it's going to be big shot after big shot coming up. This this felt like a really important game for Boston, though. Game one at home. There's been all this talk about how Boston wasn't afraid of Brooklyn and the defense this and Brooklyn that, and I think they needed this one at home. If it was one nothing Brooklyn after playing that well, that would be really difficult for them. Now, from a Nets perspective. I, it's not like, oh, well, we'll be fine. I still think they could win game two and really make a series of this one. Like I said, I think it's going seven. I just, I can't say enough about how great I thought this game was. Chicago against Milwaukee looked like we, they, we'd be getting a bit of a let up as Milwaukee got off to like a nine nothing run. They were up by 20 something at one point. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll be able to kind of ease up on the note taking here. And then Chicago just stormed back and credit Chicago. They are not going to go away in this series. And overall, I thought they did a, a Good job defensively holding Milwaukee to 93 points. There was not enough shot making at key moments in this game. Um, DeMar DeRozan saying, I'm not going to shoot 5 for 21 or 5 for 26, whatever it was. Again, you sure as hell better hope not because they don't have a hope of winning this um, series if they're not doing that. I thought Vucevic had an okay game at times, but the, the real concern, and it's not like this isn't a concern for everyone else, but the real concern is there is no answer for Giannis on this team. He was just able to bully his way to the rim and get basically whatever he wanted. And I think we're going to see a little bit more of that, uh, more Giannis being a little bit more selfish going into into game two. I think Milwaukee is just playing better than Chicago. Um, Chicago at one point, I think this game was tied again. And then Milwaukee pulls away late. There's just... There's just not enough on Chicago to keep up with Milwaukee. And then very quickly, the Pelicans aren't even close to being in the same league as the, the Phoenix Suns. And again, New Orleans made it close. A couple of big shots made from McCollum. Ingram made a, a few key shots. I thought Valanchunas had a pretty good game. But Chris Paul was unbelievable in this game. And a, a dominant showing from him really took this game over when New Orleans started to make a game of it. He was just like, no, we're, we're not losing in this game. Booker was excellent. Aiton had some moments. The, the real kind of spark plug was Cam Johnson with some massive plays in this game to get the crowd rolling. I, I thought he played really, really well. And this is this is going to be a quick series. New Orleans is not long for this world. This can be valuable experience for some of the young players on this team. I don't think Zion would make a hell of a lot of difference. He would make some, but overall, this was the Phoenix Suns world, and we were just living in it um, in this game. So, coming up on the um, NBA playoff schedule tonight, you have a key game two for the Toronto Raptors. Again, they are without Scotty Barnes. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers are seven-point favorites going into this one. You have the Utah Jazz as five-point favorites going up against Dallas at 6.30 Mountain Time. And the late game is Golden State seven-point favorites over the Denver Nuggets. That seems... God, I was really thinking going into this, I'm probably going to take Philadelphia, I'm probably going to take Golden State, I'm probably going to take Utah. All of those lines are really good. Um, it might be just a, a stay away day on the basketball court and just enjoy some of the games that we will see there. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. You can find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be and find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. Since we last spoke, a bit of an up and down experience for the Calgary Flames as they get shellacked by Vegas and then do the shellacking against Arizona on Saturday night, an Arizona team that is just done, right? There isn't a whole lot to take away from that game. And I thought coming in, okay, the Flames segment I'll do is 
what do we need to see in the last uh, however many games it is now for the Flames? And the answer is really nothing. That There isn't a, okay, if, if this can get going, I'll feel better about the playoffs. The, the Flames now are kind of just killing time. And I, I think I made a big of a bit of a bigger deal out of a, an effort I didn't love against Seattle and an effort I didn't love against Vegas. Um, it's just going to be difficult to match the desperation of these teams. And also, it's not like if Calgary went out and beat Vegas, it's, okay, well, now this team's going to win the Stanley Cup. We need to see this team do it at the biggest time of year. And when you have a comfortable lead, or like whatever the point total is, over um, Edmonton, it's difficult to, to really get into these games. And even manufacturing that, it's tough to match the desperation of a Vegas team that's playing for a playoff spot. So... Uh, it, it really does feel like we're just killing time for the Flames until um, the, the postseason starts. Because I just, they have, I still don't get why Markstrom's playing in some of these games. The Chicago one tonight, there is no way Markstrom should be playing in this game. Th this is a time that Markstrom, again, needs to be resting a little bit more. I, I feel like even in January, we'd be saying, yeah, Markstrom probably doesn't need to start this game against a Chicago team that's just playing out the... Um, playing out the stretch and for a, a Calgary Flames team that has over the last little bit taken a couple of lapses and taken a couple of nights off I don't want my starting goalie exposed to that and exposed to having to have a bit of a bigger workload in a game that doesn't mean anything I there there is a lot of in Daryl we trust in this city and it is very much earned but I am really scratching my head at what the Flames are doing in net right now as they get ready for a matchup with the Chicago Blackhawks tonight. Uh, that is a 6 o'clock start. The Flames are minus 310. Oh boy. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very much scratching my head at what the Flames are doing between the pipes right now. Last one, we will close out today on the Toronto Blue Jays, as they pick up series win over the Oakland Athletics, and a lineup that you were very concerned about or very scared of going into the regular season. Toronto is now like, it's, it's lacking a little bit, you know, without, without Jay Oscar Hernandez, without Danny Jansen, all of a sudden this dangerous one through nine lineup is that yeah, danger through one through five. A couple of quick notes. Obviously Vlad Guerrero Jr. Is on the heater of all heaters. Bo Bichette, you would like to see him step up a little bit more. The thing that you like, you don't love Ryu going on the IL this early in the season. This does kind of feel like, <laughs> anytime I hear, oh yeah, he has inflammation. It's like, yeah, so does fucking everyone. This kind of feels like a, ah, let's just give him 10 days off. I don't mind that at all for the Blue Jays to to give Hyunjin Ryu as much runway as you possibly can. And I thought Ross Tripling pitched pretty well uh, against Oakland. The issue is you're going into a part of the schedule where you kind of need all hands on deck. And the Blue Jays definitely don't with already Jansen, Hernandez, and Ryu on the IL, when you're going into a stretch of Boston, Houston, New York, Boston, Houston, New York, and just cycling through that, you kind of need everyone to be at their best. And right now, like they have Vladdy at his best, uh, Springer is playing out of his mind, and Espinal is at his best. And everyone else, you're just trying to drag along until they, they get everything figured out. So this is a really important next little bit early in the season for the Blue Jays. But uh, again, they are Currently sitting with a 5-3 and three record, I believe it is. They have not lost a series yet this season. So I guess it would be 6-3. and three. Uh, Either way, um, this is a Blue Jays team that April isn't when it's going to be established or anything like that. But some of these early season tests are going to be very good. And also, it, the main thing that I, I can really take away and really like, okay, this... 
This is something that I have learned that has changed for the Blue Jays and has changed my opinion around the Blue Jays is I think the bullpen's legit. Like, Jordan Romano, he's probably going to blow a save at some point this season. Jimmy Garcia is a really good kind of eighth inning guy, and you have Simber who can come in for an inning or two in leverage situations. There's just a bunch of guys that you trust in high leverage situations, and we've now seen them in a few. There's going to be ups and downs in that area as well, but the bullpen is something that I feel like that this is a tangible, this is improved, certainly from this time last year, but I think even from the end of the season last year to now. That's going to do it for the show today. Thank you guys so much for downloading and listening. Reminder, uh, Clearwater Cleaning Solutions is the studio sponsor. Spring into action with Clearwater Cleaning Solutions this spring and get 10% off your booking when you call 403-274-3998 and mention Spring Promo. Be back on twitch.tv slash primetimepk tomorrow with our all-time Flames franchise coming off of a Flames game tonight against Chicago. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram. I am at primetimecline. Hopefully you all have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to y'all later. I'm out.